Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rotor Report podcast in association with the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav, back once again after... Sunderland's epic win over Plymouth in the league and I'm joined as always by my mate in Australia Martin Wanless. Hi Martin. Gav, how are you? Oh I'm tickly boom mate, having a good kip after our marathon, <laughs> 24 hour marathon. That's the main thing eh? Uh, exactly mate and I'm also joined, uh, delighted to be joined by Nick Barnes. Hi Nick. Morning. How's everybody? It is morning. Well it is for us. Not for me. It is for us here. Martin. Poor Martin, yeah. Martin's uh, Good idea. evening Martin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, we're all we're all in high spirits, I guess, after Sunderland's win at the weekend, Nick. Um, let well before we go through the action bit by bit, I just want to gather your thoughts on the sort of performance in general and and the reaction of the players to a little bit of adversity in the second half and stuff. You know, it was it was a really good team effort, wasn't it? And uh, an important three points in the context of the season when you when you consider how high up the table Plymouth are. Yes, I think the first. 15, 20 minutes was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think that's some of the best football I've seen Sunderland play this season. You know, the, the, the confidence, the I think the way in particular Pritchard, Dayaku, uh, Broadhead linked up, um, the confidence they showed on the ball to, to sort of uh, knock it about sweetly and take players on. Uh, I thought the, the, the first goal, that training ground manoeuvre, it's one of those, that, you know, I, I was talking to, Dan Neil afterwards and saying, you know, Benno and I often during commentary are just head in our hands because the set pieces are so poor and they have been, you know, consistently poor for Sunderland for most of the season. Then suddenly you get a, a corner like that that worked absolutely perfectly. And you have to applaud, as Lee Johnson did after, as Jamie McAllister for working that one out and for it working in the manner that it did. And it caught Plymouth completely cold, but it also needed the players that were involved in it to get everything right. And they did. It was interesting. I, I listened to Daniel's interview with the club, and he actually said it wasn't meant to come to him. <laughs> he wasn't That's supposed right. to be the yeah, the, yeah, the player yeah. in that position. It was nearly, nearly perfect. But but I found hard to believe, if I'm honest, because it looked so well. From worked. where he was, yeah, from where he was standing to score, it looked as though it was intended for him. But you, you know, for it for actually to, to go through two, three players, reach him, and still score, you know, with with Plymouth sort of literally caught like. Rabbits in the headlights, I think, because it was early in the game and they just didn't expect it. Um, 
you know, a manoeuvre like that uh, did, did catch them cold. And then it was going to say Broadhead's finish as well. I mean, you don't get a cheekier finish than that. But, you know, that's no. a confidence thing. That's a player who's at the moment, uh, you know, is at the top of his confidence and and is looking like a very, very good player. So that, you know, together. And then they, they really should have been perhaps three or four up at half time. And that would have been the game blown out of the water, really, from Plymouth's point of view. But I think, you know, there's two things in the second half. One was that Plymouth was still in it at 2-0 and losing Lyndon Gooch and Sunderland having to change the system that actually worked in Plymouth's favour. It gave them a real boost. Um, and, you know, as we said in the commentary, the next the next goal is the big one. You know, when it's 2-0, if it's 2-1, Plymouth have got something to play for, something to hang on to. If it's 3-0, it's game over. So, you know, all credit to Plymouth. They didn't give up. They had they, they made a go of it. As you said, they're, they're, not, they're a good team. They weren't top of the table for so long because they were a bad team. It's because, you know, they're a team that are having a, a sort of mini slump at the minute. But I wouldn't be at all surprised now under Stephen Schumacher that they, they push on again and um, they're back up there in that, that ruck of teams fighting for the top two. Martin, you watched the game on the stream. I, I was there in person, but I mean, the, the atmosphere around the stadium was brilliant where, where I was stood. Do you feel like there's been a bit of a change in terms of the the overall mood in the fan base? I mean, even after four games into this six-game unbeaten run, it wasn't good. But this last couple of days, the the, the win in midweek and then the one at the weekend, has it changed the mood? Do you, th- do you feel like people are a little bit more on board with what's going on? I think it has. And, you know, you, you contrast the, the atmosphere yesterday from um, to the atmosphere last Saturday against Oxford. And that was, you know, it was only only seven days ago. And there was all doom and gloom around around that result. And, you know, despite a, a, a really good second half performance in that game, it was, it was purely based on the on the, the result, wasn't it? That, you know, dropping the two points at home, coming into the game where we, we needed to ideally win. But I think, you know, that that win against um, Morecambe on Tuesday, even though it wasn't the most sort of, you know, top-notch performance in terms of getting everything happening consistently for 90 minutes, those goals that we scored on, on Tuesday, getting those five, I think that's really made a, a big difference and given everybody a boost. And, you know, you go into the game against um, against Plymouth yesterday and, you know, it's another different type of um, test, isn't it? Which we obviously have passed with reasonably flying colours. You know, it's, I completely agree with Nick. Like that, that first half performance was probably the best of the season. And if you say it's the best of the season, it's probably the best in at least a year. You know, it's almost, well, it is a year to the day to day since that Lincoln game. Um, I think it was Lee Johnson's second league game in charge, wasn't it, where we, we blew them away in the first half. Um, and you know, it's prob- you're probably looking that far back to to get as good a, a first half performance as we turned out yesterday. I see you nodding there, Nick. Yeah, I agree. It's funny enough because <laughs> someone mentioned, I think it was Phil Smith yesterday in the Echo mentioned that Lincoln game and said the same as Martin. It was probably going back to that Lincoln game. Um, when they, when, you know, as Martin says, they blew Lincoln out in the first half. I mean, I think, you know, going back, there have been spells in games when they played, you know, you've had five, 10 minute spells. But I think a consistent sort of 45 minutes when, you know, by their own admission, I was talking to the Plymouth Argyle commentary team uh, at half time and they, and they both agreed that Plymouth were lucky to still be in it at half time. They said it should have been at least 4 0. And they were, you know, and they had the chances and they played some, some, you know, some really nice football in that first 45 minutes and kept up that relentless sort of uh, pressure on, on Plymouth. And, you know, all credit to Dayaku, 
who's, you know, he's been a sort of subject of some debate, I guess, over the last couple of weeks because he was playing at, you know, you know, what is his natural position? Well, it seems to be a winger, but he's been asked to play as a wing back. And you can clearly see in, in, in the game against Morecambe on Tuesday and then again in the early stages of the game against Plymouth, Bailey Wright's consistently talking to Diaku and trying to coach him through the game almost as to where he should be, what he should be doing. But credit to Diaku, I think yesterday was his best game for Sunderland because, you know, he went, he's, he, he, he had a, an amazing first half just because of his, you know, his silky skills, if you like. But he kept going in the second half. He was asked to change wings. He was asked to do a different sort of job, but he kept at it and, and all credit to him for, for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. You know, going back to what Martin said about the Lincoln game, yeah, that probably is the best overall performance in a year because I think you've got to give Sunderland credit for the way they handle Plymouth in the second half as well. Yeah, scrappy goal. But I did say before the game, um, funnily enough, when we were talking on the on the you know the Roker Report podcast yesterday morning, I said Plymouth will score because I think that's where Sunderland are at the moment. I'm not concerned too much about conceding goals at this level because you'll score goals at this level. Sunderland will score goals. And I think, you know, we had this debate about in the Premier League, yeah, keeping clean sheets is important. Because if you keep a clean sheet, if you're in the bottom half of the Premier League, it gives you the opportunity to win a game 1-0. Whereas in this league, it's it's not such a big pressure on keeping clean sheets because you know by the way that teams give the ball away and the, and the chances they create, you will score goals. So I think, you know, yesterday I just sort of had that fe- you know, had the feeling that um, the Plymouth game will be one of those games where Plymouth, being the sort of team that they are, will probably score. But the way that Sunderland are set up at the minute and the way that Broadhead and Stewart... Um, Pritchard are playing I thought that there's goals in that team Perfectly imperfect is how I'd probably describe <laughs> the sort of def- team defensive performance because yeah we, we we were scrappy we you know some of the clearances weren't great you know we, we had to sort of defend with our backs to the walls at times but I still I, I just think that we, we wanted it a little bit more than maybe they did and that's why our defending was so important I don't think we defend I wouldn't say it was like proper old school clear cut defending but we put our bodies on the line I thought I thought that the, yeah. the defenders in particular were good it's funny because there's one player that doesn't get I don't think enough credit for his defending is, is Ross Stewart nine times out of ten the player that clears the ball in the penalty area when they're under pressure is Ross Stewart yeah. um, you know I just think that's another facet to his game I think you know he's, he's in there with everybody else it's like, like you said it's that team effort um, and, and yeah, it wasn't perfect yesterday. It was scrappy, but you know everybody's doing a job. You know, just clear the lines, clear the lines, get the ball out, and um, they did that. I was interested, Nick. Um, obviously, in the first half, we we sort of played with with four at the back, and Gucci was was left back, and I think he's done tremendously well, by the way, over the past past few weeks. I know, I know he's so he gave away that that goal against Oxford, didn't he? Playing right back, but him mm. playing at the left back, especially on Tuesday night, I think he's been. He's been superb. But I was quite surprised. I think when when you spoke to Lee Johnson after the game, he said he changed to a three at the back with Gooch coming off because that was the simplest thing for the players to to switch to. And I, I was quite taken aback by that because I would have thought surely just putting you know Younger on at full back or Alves on at full back and maintaining that system which had it worked so well in the first half. That that to me seems the the simplest thing to do rather than putting Diaku from one side to another, pulling him back to wing back and, and changing the whole shape of the team. Well, it's interesting that about Younger and Alves. I think Alves particularly, because we spoke to Lee Johnson on Friday about 
Alves and you know the loan situation and is he getting enough games? Will, will West Ham be happy enough with him because he's not really been involved that much? I, I think Lee Johnson's got. I mean, a, um, a trust issue is probably not the right way to describe it. There's something about Lee Johnson and Alves. I'm, I'm not quite sure. He's a hundred percent sure he'll do the job for him, um, and he's very much a a manager who seems to think, right, those players out there on the pitch, I trust. I know what they'll do and what they'll give me. And he's happier to stick with those. It's interesting when you look at his substitutions. It's it's only been Embleton and O'Brien. He hasn't mm. risked, uh, apart from, you know, 10 minutes cameo from Kimpioka, he hasn't risked anybody else from the, from the bench. So he's sticking to that core of senior players and... Um, so I think, you know, when he, and, and it, it, that whole back three, back four issue has been, it's quite been, it's been quite entertaining actually, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's a, as, as Lee Johnson was saying again yesterday, and then he, he talked about it on Friday as well. It, it, it was a lopsided three, wasn't it? Which became a four and it effectively started with Bailey Wright, right back, Lyndon Gooch left back. Um, and it was interesting in the second half yesterday, you noticed early on, when Dayaku was playing on the right still, and suddenly there was this huge, uh, when Gooch had gone off, Doyle was leaving the left wing horribly exposed yeah. and Ryan Broom was trying to exploit that. So what did they do? They bring Dayaku over to the left to, to plug the gap. So, you know, that back four three is is very, very flexible. I mean, it seems to it seems to adapt as the, the game or the games go on, but he's very reliant on sticking to those same players to fill those roles. You know, Winchester dropping back to right back yesterday and Doyle then playing effectively left back, Flanagan, um, you know, playing centre back and in the middle. It it just it's very fluid, but it, it and well what what Gav said, yeah, it's it's the imper- it's the perfect imperfect. It's it, it's it's doing a job and 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 at the moment with the way things are and you've got to hope that Lyndon Gooch isn't out for three to four weeks, which was the fear that Lee Johnson expressed afterwards could be a scenario then yeah will we see Alves will we see Younger drafted in um, and see what they can offer I think what I'd heard was that Human Circuit might be back either before or just after the Ipswich game yeah so we might not have too long to wait it's certainly around about that time I mean I know that it's it's Circuit, Hume, Evans the three that are closest to coming back Um, and when we spoke to Lee Johnson what was it two weeks ago when he gave a sort of time scale for each, it was the beginning of sort of mid-December, late December, that those three should be back. So Ipswich would be right to try and get one, if not two of those three back. It'll make a huge difference, Martin, won't it? I mean, we are getting by at the minute. You can't argue with being six games unbeaten. I think I just think it's great. But the fact we've done it without full-backs is a credit to the team and is a credit to Lee Johnson, in my opinion. And... I think I think we deserve a little bit more credit for the way we sort of got by with what we've got. We've got, let's say, one one player going off in that game against Plymouth in Gooch. We had to change three or four players around just to accommodate it because we have we simply don't have the numbers to cope. I know there was a left back on the bench, Kieran Dunn, but it's a it's a big ask to bring a player on like that who's not really made a first team appearance and who might not actually be good enough yet. Yeah. To to come on play left wing back, isn't it? So. I think yeah, he deserve. I think they deserve a bit of credit. Yeah, I mean, was it the Bradford game? Uh, Oldham game, wasn't it? I think it was Oldham. The, that's the Oldham it. Oldham, wasn't it? He, he... Dunn 
yeah, got a bit exposed in yes. that game. And I think that's that will be, as you say, it will be a big risk in a game like Plymouth to bring Dunn on. No, I think Gav, your point's absolutely spot on. I think, you know, we've had some ups and downs in, in terms of actual football performance over the, the course of the season. And, you know, there's some games that stand out as being up there and other games that stand out as sort of being at those those bottoms of the, the rung. But one thing you can't criticise the, the team for throughout the whole of the season, I don't think, is really like the the desire to to play for Lee Johnson, and I think there's there's never been a a, a, a sense that you get that the, the team aren't playing for him. You know that that Cambridge game is a perfect example. Like the conditions were horrendous. You're up against it all game, and like the mentality and you know the physical side, they, they really showed what they're made of. I think yesterday was another great example in the second half. Like a team that isn't fully switched on mentally. After conceding that goal, goes to pieces. Next corner comes in, you know, it's likely to be a, an equaliser, isn't it? So I think you, the team deserves an enormous amount of credit, not just for the football performances that they put in, but just the actual mental performances and physical performances. And you know, over the we have had injuries and they've had to fill in, but in some respects, it might have made Lee Johnson's job a little bit easier because you've got a, a, a core group. Of, you know, as Nick said, you your subs, uh, O'Brien and Embleton, you're not really getting much more. From that, so you've got 13 players who you're choosing from and working with. Well, te- well, yeah, if you add Alves to it, I suppose. Well, he's not getting in, he's not getting the look in, is he? So you, you've got that core. That, that's a good point Martin makes about this group. When Lee Johnson was uh, appointed, I spoke to an old friend of mine, Mervyn Day, who used to be um, chief scout at Bristol City when Lee Johnson was there. And I was sort of asking Merv about, you know, how Lee Johnson works, what's, what, what's he like as a coach? Um, and Mercer Deleuze is a really good coach. He's a very, very good coach. But one thing he did say is he likes to work with a small group of players. He doesn't like to have to manage uh, players not in the team. And I think that's becoming sort of evident now with the way he's managing this group with the injuries. He's sticking to that core 11 and the one or two senior players off the bench and working with them, if you like, in that small, tight-knit group. And it, Yesterday, before the game, we saw um, four, I think four or five Sunderland fans who actually live in Bath and around Bristol. And I said, well, you'll, you'll obviously know Lee Johnson well, living that area, be, you know, as Sunderland fans, you'll still be very much across what Lee Johnson was doing at Bristol City. And they all agreed that everybody in that area is desperate for Lee Johnson to do well. They said they're absolutely, you know, Bristol City fans, even though he's gone, and he's now at Sunderland, would, would love him, would just dearly love him to do well. Um, because he's, he's sort of in, uh, you know, while he was at Bristol City for all the ups and downs and the streaky label, he did seem to, you know, fans seem to embrace him and what he's, what he's trying to do and what he, what he does as a coach and a manager. And sometimes those injuries can, as we, as we say, kind of help a manager to a large extent, can't they? Because, you know, at the start of the season, Broadhead couldn't get a, a look into the team. Um, Pritchard was was on the bench for a long period of time. Now, if you fast forward to now, with Diaku, Pritchard, and Broadhead up front with Stewart, if everybody's fit, you choose those four at the minute. Mm. So he's kind of hit on, on a well. Funny, yeah, because yesterday um, was it yesterday or Friday? Scott Wilson and the Northern Echo said to Lee Johnson, "Well, it's funny how you've stumbled upon this team and." And I'd actually said to, to Lee uh, uh, about the Cambridge game, I said, oh, it's, you know, sometimes fate has it that Evans gets an injury in the 
warm-up, you have to change and bring another player in. And suddenly you've hit upon a formula that seems to be working. Well, Lee Johnson was a little bit chastened by the word <laughs> stumble from Scott because he said, well, we didn't stumble on this. We've been working on this system for some time. You know, it takes a bit of, takes a bit of practice. But you're right, because of the injuries, that system and that team has been forced upon him. And actually it's worked. I mean, and you can't argue against that because I even think, you know, the Oxford game to a certain, certain extent was taken out of context by a lot of people assuming that, you know, you're going to roll Oxford over, forgetting that Oxford arguably were the form team in League One. I mean, they'd not lost one game and that was to Plymouth in 10. Now 11 with, um, you know, the game against Sunderland. And I think they won yesterday, didn't they? They beat MK Dons yesterday. So Oxford on an incredible run at yeah. the minute. So, uh, you know, a, a one-all draw against Oxford was by no means a bad result. And on another day, with a little bit of luck, maybe a tiny little bit more quality, they'd have beaten Oxford. So that shows you where they are and where they where they've been in this last sort of ten day period. It's interesting how we've coped without Aidan McGeady, isn't it, Nick? And a lot of people have remarked on that, and a, and, a, and a lot of fans I've spoken to saying, "Well, maybe this is the time, you know, maybe this is the time that McGeady uh, is the player that now sort of takes a step back, and we 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 don't uh, become a team that's over reliant mentally." if nothing else, on Aidan McGeady. I mean, because to a degree over the last couple of seasons, there's been this sort of uh, mental crutch that McGeady's going to get Sunderland out of trouble. And I think that was, you know, a dangerous place to go, to be honest, over the last couple of seasons because because of his age, because he's definitely had a dip in form this season. I think now they've learned how to play without him. Um, yeah, look, great if he's in the squad and if he can come off the bench and games towards the end of the season, fantastic. But I just don't think we need to be looking and saying McGeady's the go-to player that's going to get us out of League One. Because I think this team's proving that it can get out of League One by itself at the minute in, in terms of the way that it's playing and the players that are developing through that team just because they're getting minutes. The way Pritchard stepped up as well is amazing, really. He sort of stepped into that McGeady role in the team, hasn't he, as the, as the, um, the experienced, creative player who everything runs through and probably obviously because he's younger and, and fitter and a little bit quicker um, has improved us measurably. I think uh, if, if any one player has improved more than the rest of his teammates over this sort of last six game period, it's got to be Alex Pritchard for me. Well, I mean, again, Lee Johnson said, didn't he, after the game yesterday, we're now seeing why someone paid £14 million for him because that's the player now that Sunderland thought they bought in the summer. And, and as Alex Pritchard's talked about, you know, you can't um, legislate for something like COVID, which sort of wiped him out in the summer. And it's taken him this long to get back to his, to his best. And then he's now, and now again, because he's playing regularly, he started the last, what, four or five games now. He's getting into his stride. He's getting match fitness. And, and he's, he's a busy bee, you know, he's buzzing everywhere. He's just fantastic to watch. And, and you can see again, there's a player that's just thriving on the confidence now of being able to contribute and play and 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 fill and, and you know play the minutes and yeah, I mean it's it's again something that's just sort of come together just at the right time if you like. Adam Heggett, he's asked on Twitter. Um, we look so much better playing with a high tempo and a high press from the off yesterday, which makes you wonder why we stopped doing it in recent weeks. Was it a tactical change or a personnel slash confidence issue? Interesting that because yeah we I mean I would say confidence is the big one right I mean when you've lost four games it is difficult 
to play with a zip in your step. We're, we're six unbeaten, of course, we're going to play like that. I think it's players take, players don't want to take responsibility, do they? There's this old issue of when you're in a slump and when you're making, you know, if you're losing games or you're not playing as well as you have been, players don't like to, t- don't, they don't want to be the ones that give the ball away. They don't want to be the ones that shoot from 25 yards and it goes over. Um, and, and, and then that, that it sort of almost sort of permeates the team then. You know, one player starts not wanting to take responsibility, then the player next to him doesn't want to take responsibility. And it sort of, it, 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 that shifts through the team. And I think, I think yesterday was a fine example where now, because players are prepared to have a go, and Dayaku is one you know, example of that. He's, he's more than happy to try and push it through a defender's legs you know, and take a player on. And, and a month ago, would he have done? Would we have seen the old Sunderland? You, you face a player, turn, play it back, go back to the centre-halves, start again. Now you're seeing Broadhead, Pritchard, Dayaku, Stuart, they're all prepared to take players on again uh, and, and take chances. And I think that, again, is this confidence issue. You know, when you know, you're know you winning games 5-0, you're, you're, you're digging out a result like yesterday, players suddenly are prepared to take on responsibility again. We haven't really talked about the second goal, Martin, but all of those players involved, we've talked about to to, to varying degrees. The ball from Pritchard to Diaku, was, was to Diaku, wasn't it? Unbelievable pass then. Diaku, as Nick just said, shows confidence to take his man on, turns him inside out, puts a lovely ball into feet and then Broadhead's finish. I mean, anyone who's heard Frankie's commentary on the on the stream, <laughs> I saw the video going round um the video going round on Twitter, but it, it about sums it up. It's about the noise I made, I think, when I was in the ground. Um <laughs> it was nice to watch, wasn't it, Martin? Oh, it was beautiful. Be- beautiful move, beautiful football, and just real talent. Unsure from all, from all three of them, and you know it's not only Broadhead's finish, but it's also his, his run to to make the angle for the past from from Diaku, and yeah. you know the, the finish is is exceptional, and I think you know Broadhead's another one who we're seeing you know getting four or five games in the team, forming you know relationships and partnerships with the 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 other attackers around them, figuring out how how each of them play, figuring out where they they like to play the ball, figuring out how they like to move. And it's no surprise that those, you know, all of the players are getting a bit better by having those those games on on you know the game time with each other. And it's always it's going to take a few games. And you know, I think there's there's certain people or certain elements of of all football fans, I guess, for, from any club who are really quick to write players off after a bad performance or a bad cameo appearance or, or something like that. But Diaki is a, pr- a prime example. You know, it's a young lad coming from a, a foreign country. He's barely played at first team level before, if ever, um, before coming here. Not for a regular run, anyways. Well, not for a regular run. He, he might have had a few sub appearances here or there, but he's, he's never yeah. actually been yeah. part of a, a first choice 13, 14, 15 man squad, has he? So you know, he's coming in playing football for the first time properly at professional level. He's not going to be performing at 100% straight away. He's going to take, you know, he, he might take three, six months to really settle in. And you've got to give those players time because the the ceiling that they have, we don't know where it is. It could be right up here. It could be down there, but, but we don't know. And we're seeing performances improve week by week now. And you know, we'll have some ups and downs along the way, but that course is going up. And Broadhead's a great example. You know, he's I had a look, and Broadhead's going to be twenty four, I think, in in April, mm. and he's barely played first team football in his career. I think he's still in 18, 19 appearances. 
so for him, this is a, a whole new experience as well. So he's he's not going to be performing at those sort of maximum levels now. But he's getting there, and he, I tell you what, he could be an absolute star. Uh, I I would be going all out to sign him in January if it's at all possible, like because he is class. Did you hear what Tom Tom White said on the on the Twitter space before the game that he did with Rich? Because he Tom White from Sky Sports News was on and he was talking about Broadhead's deal with Everton. And it was his understanding that Everton have basically re-signed him just because when they come to sell him, they want to insert a sell-on clause in there. So maybe down the line he does well. Yeah. They could make a couple of quid off him. They have no intention of keeping Nathan Broadhead. He was actually going to be released. Um, but... One thing Tom said, which was more about his style of play, which really had me had me watching Broadhead differently during the game, was that he said, this sounds weird, but look at the way he runs and carries himself around the pitch. He doesn't look like a League One striker. No. He's very different. And that made me watch Broadhead slightly differently during the game. I, I was sort of like watching the way he moves, the way he sort of carries himself and runs. And I mean, on, on the podcast that we did... Um, on live on Twitter, I said that I think Nathan Broadhead is probably one of the most, and I don't, people shouldn't take this wrong because I know we've had some fantastic strikers at Sunderland in the Premier League, but as a com, as a complete forward goes, we can't have had many more complete forwards who can do everything. Good in the air, he's quick, he's got good feet, he's two-footed, good finisher from range, he can do close-range finishing as we mm. saw yesterday. Um, he can play out on the wing, he can play as a 10 there can't have been more complete forwards than, than him at this club in recent years, Nick. No, and I think I was wondering yesterday, I mean, like you watching him and the, the ground he's covering. I, I mean, I, I haven't knows how many kilometres he's covered during a match because he, he's get, he's dropping deep. As, as often as not, you'd look down and think, oh, is that Gooch? Oh, no, it's Broadhead. He was <laughs> dropping right back down into left back position, into midfield. He's making, you know, sprints from his own penalty area to take the, the ball back up into the opposition half and, and, and sort of foraging runs into the penalty area. And I mean, as to his future, I mean, I think Marco Gabbiadini was saying the other week that, you know, Broadhead's one that is going to be very, very interesting because you just say, I don't, Everton aren't going to keep him. The age that he is now, if they were, that, that, that would have, you know, we'd have known a long time ago that Everton, he was in their sort of, uh, on, on, in their plans He's he's not. I mean, so he's going to be available for someone next season. And I think if Sunderland do go up, they'd have a very, very good chance of of keeping and of signing him because he's got a decision to make. You know, he's got a career now to make in football. It's going to be away from Everton. And so he's got to decide himself where that career is going to be. And if Sunderland can, you know, if they can embrace him and they can nurture him and make him feel like this is the club to be at because of the support they get, the football that they're playing, and if they make him like you said, Gav, you know, central to their plans as a centre forward with Ross Stewart, then you know you could have a, a very, very big future at Sunderland. But what's interesting is that he turned down Championship moves to come here, anyways. So I think that stands us in very good stead. If he's playing regular football here and enjoying himself and scoring goals, Martin, I think we're in a good position regardless. I think he does probably see himself playing at the highest level if he can. You know, he. he He's done very well for himself to date as a youth player. But I think if Sunderland want him, want him badly enough, I think we would get him. Well, I think it's um, there's another aspect to this as well, isn't it? And that's his relationship with, 
with the coaching staff and you know, with with Lee Johnson. And if he feels that Lee Johnson is getting the best out of him and he's a good manager to to guide the next phase of his career, you know that's a, a massive thing when when he has a decision to make because he'll have had you know six months, twelve months of, of working with with Johnson. And I think that's, that's another thing that's often overlooked when people, you know, we, we lose one game and everyone goes, Johnson out. And you, you've got all of these other aspects in the club, you know, the, the relationships that the individual players have with the head coach, which, you know, from, from the outside looking in, seem to be strong, seem to be productive and seem, seem to be solid. And you, you end up, you know, potentially risking all of these things with that uncertainty at, at management level as well. So the, the more stable we can be, on a, a football department level off the field, the better chance we have of keeping players like Nathan Broadhead if, if the opportunity arises to sign him, the better chances that we have of keeping you know people like Cirque and if he has a good season and people are after him, the better chance we have of Callum Doyle coming back next season on, on a year's loan. So you've got all of this stability aspect which can, can have a knock-on effect to the personnel and be, be usually influ- influential in where players actually see their, their futures. We'll talk a little bit about the goal we conceded. I know Nick touched on it. Is there anything we could have done better there? I know I noticed that a few people commented on no. <laughs> Tom Flanagan's sort of role in that. And I said on the on the podcast we did live on Twitter after the game that I felt maybe the goalkeeper, if he wanted to come out and clatter a few people to, to get his hands on it, he probably could have. Is that fair, Nick? I, I, yeah, I think I mean I think Benno touched on it in the game yesterday. Hoffman's got a he's got to command his area. And in those situations, I mean, funny enough, you go back to the Cambridge game and he dealt with it fantastically. You know, that, that they, were, they were going through that same scenario every three or four minutes because Cambridge were racking up corners. And what they were trying to do was exactly what Sunderland had done to score. And that was swing it right underneath the crossbar and put pressure on Hoffman. And he dealt with it really well. And so to a degree, it sort of surprised me yesterday. He didn't do as well with that corner um, but the point being, you know, he's got to he's got to be dominant in that position. He's got to come out. He's got to claim that ball. And you know, you can see the way that teams now are adopting this sort of um, pile everybody into the six yard box and basically sandwich the goalkeeper. Well, it, it's it's seeming the referees aren't giving goalkeepers much protection in that situation. Um, I mean, the referee yesterday. Look, that's not a story altogether. <laughs> but um, you know, he he. He, yeah, he, he should have, I think Hoffman should really have taken control there, um, yeah. knowing that that was probably what Plymouth were going to do. So mm. it's a shame, I mean, because I think Hoffman's a good keeper and, he, and he's proved, you know, he's he, he's pulled off some, you know, outstanding saves and he's clearly a player that's going to develop and be a, a big player for, for, for someone, when, you know, whether it's Sunderland or whether it's someone back in Germany. But um, that in that instance... Um, you know, we're back to the old sort of uh, bullying scenario, if you like. That's that's sort of maybe a little bit of an Achilles heel for Sunderland. They don't they don't deal with that physicality sometimes as well as they perhaps should do. I think I think that word develop is probably the the right one. I think with Hoffman, and we've just talked about Diaku in, in similar in similar vein. He is a young player who hasn't had a lot of proper first team football with rugged, tough defenders, and you can tell that. Um, and what. The way I put it yesterday was sort of like, well, if he was if he was good at everything, he wouldn't be in League One right now. So you sort of have to mm. take the rough with a smooth. I think if you look at the, the other goalkeeping options that we've got, um, Patterson is probably a, a, more similar to, to Hoffman than Burgess, 
but he's still a, a little bit further back in his development. But Burge is not particularly good at anything. He's sort of all right at everything. He's not like a there isn't a, there isn't something I could pick at in Burge's game and say he's really strong at that. And then you look even further back than that at sort of John McLaughlin, who was a very good shot stopper, very good at command in his area, but poor with his feet. Hoffman's brilliant with his feet. I think we saw a statue in the week from the the game on Tuesday that Hoffman never made a single goal kick clearance pass beyond the halfway line on Tuesday night, which probably has never happened before. I'd be amazed if that's <laughs> ever happened where a Sunderland goalkeeper has played 90 minutes. So, you know, we're obviously adapting with the way he can play, um, adapting our own play, the way we play out from the back and stuff. And um, I think you've just got to, again, just take the rough or the smooth with him. And I think in time, as he becomes more experienced and more confident and just gets older, like, you know, you've got to wait for him to get those years under his belt. He will become better at command in his area. Um, but the important thing is, is with with every player at this level, I, I say pretty much every player at this level, is the, the league one player for a reason because they're not particularly mm. brilliant at everything or they're not consistent. And that always makes me sort of tap temper my expectations slightly when it comes to players, Hoffman being one of them. Um, but I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna sort of lose any sleep over the way he think the things he should have done better. I think with Hoffman though as well, you've got to remember that. I think before that that goal was conceded, he he made two or three really good saves to keep he did. The, the score yeah. down beforehand. Anyway, so you kind of got to take it as a whole package, and it's it's one of those that it's not it's not really a. A full-on mistake, is it? He was kind of boxed in. He probably couldn't, should have yeah. done better. But wasn't it in every way he's let it slip through his fingers or under his body or well, anything a, a like more that? Exp- I just think a more experienced goalkeeper probably would have just cleared a couple of players out. Well, I've well, been a bit right. more aggressive, but I, that that's a, that's sort of like something you've got to have within you. And right now he doesn't. So, but I mean, how old is he? Yeah. 20, 22, 21? Yeah, exactly. You know, very young. Very young. He's very very young for a keeper. So you know, again, first season of playing proper um, pro football, playing in a, a tough physical league, he's going to have those things and he'll be, you know, his development well, will be so much better for it. I mean, that's a point Lee Johnson made about all these players when they were signed. He said, these are young players that will make mistakes. He said, that's because that's where we are. Mm. These, the, 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 you know, if they, if they were Premier League players, they wouldn't be here. They, they're, they're, they're here because they're going to develop and make mistakes here. But they'll learn from them. I mean, I think that's true of Doyle. I think it's true of Sirkin. Um, and it's certainly true of Hoffman as well. He's, he's only going to get better as every game that he plays. Yeah. And he will make mistakes. He will, you know, learn from those mistakes. And come back to what I said earlier. And as you said, Martin, it's League One. They're going to concede goals. There's no, you know, there's no question. You're not going to play at this level and not concede goals in games because that's what teams do at this level uh, you know however good they are um and you've just got to uh, i think accept that and then say right well as a team you we will as i said earlier score goals you know and we've been talking about broadhead and we talked about stewart and we're talking about dayaku and pritchard as an offensive unit fantastic well you know at the other end on the whole there have been some good defensive performances as well but with a back four which has got a, an, an 18 year old um, a 19-year-old, um, a, a, a midfielder playing at right back, you know, and so on, and, and, a, and a very young goalkeeper. So mistakes and goals are almost inevitable. 
See, we look, we look at the league table and Sunderland are joint second with Wigan. We're only below them on goal difference. <clears throat> Importantly, though, um, we've played 21 games. We've got 42 points. That's the two points per game mark yeah. that everybody talks yeah. about as being vital for, for a team getting promoted. And Michael Bowers has asked you, Nick, uh, how vital do you think that it is that we stay at or above two points per game across the season? I, I think they will. I mean, we've reached the halfway mark pretty much. And they and they're on that target. And last year, Hull and Peterborough didn't reach ninety points. And so you know, Sunderland are, are set at the moment. The way they're going to, to reach the ninety points plus, which would see them in the top top two on that basis. And interesting, looking back last season at Hull and Peterborough's sort of runs from December through to the end of the season, both of them lost five games. Now I'm I'm not sure at the moment. I you know you look at the way Sunderland are playing. Will they lose five? more games this season you know I, I, being optimistic I, I'm not sure that they will I think they will lose games that's a given but I'm not sure they're going to lose five now with the players they've got coming back with January coming in and, and the possibility of you know looking to strengthen those certain areas that clearly need sort of some sort of strengthening um, I think Sunderland are in a very strong position to maintain that two points a game Average and I, and I, you know, I'm, I feel quite optimistic about that. I think, you know, for the last season at this stage, Hull uh, in December won one game in five. They lost four out of five games. Well, Sunderland haven't done anything like that. You know, they had that Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday blip, and there were, you know, reasons. I think you know you can isolate those two games. And Rotherham was on the back of Queens Park Rangers. Sheffield Wednesday was a strange one, bearing in mind the amount of possession that Sunderland had, but just couldn't score. But then they've they've got back into their stride, if you like, and I and I think, you know, on the basis of that, I, I just don't see them now slipping up that often. They will, but not often. I think towards the end of the season. Are you happy looking at the table, Martin? Where we are? Oh, I think you've got to be, haven't you? And you know, we did a, a round table piece on on the site um, at the start of December about you know how many points would be you know the right number of points that we needed throughout the the. The, the month of December. And I think I'd said, you know, getting to that, if we got to the end of December on that two point a game mark, bearing in mind the players we had to come back from injury, bearing in mind the this investment that you hope will come in January, you know, that's a hell of a strong position to, to be in come the end of the year. And, you know, I think, again, I always keep going back to the start of the season. If we'd been offered this at the start of the season, would we have happily taken it? And I absolutely would. To be tracking on that many points with the number of young players we had coming into the, the squad, um, and you know, then you factor in the injuries that we've had, which we obviously couldn't foretell, but we've had an awful lot of injuries that you you perhaps wouldn't expect to have that number. I think we've done really well. If you look at the whole season in context, yeah, there's been ups and downs as we talked about, but whole season in context, you've got to be happy with it. I've I'm happy with it anyway. <laughs> yeah, week off, Nick. I think it's much needed, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And I think, um, you know, going back to this whole point about, look, this is this is a team at the minute is playing without any impact subs. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think you can necessarily call Embleton or O'Brien an impact substitute, players that necessarily can change a game. So you're playing, you know, you're winning this, this week that's just gone, for instance. You've got seven points out of nine playing with 11 players, basically. Whereas if, you, if you've got your, the players that, you, you know, are injured coming back in, that can change a game in the last 15, 20 minutes. That's another, 
whole new angle to, to where Sunderland are going in the second half of the season. So, but going back to the week off, I think it's needed. I think, you know, it's, it's uh, just to mentally, if anything else, just suddenly think, right, hang on, let's take stock. Big game against Ipswich coming up at the weekend. Arsenal's a free hit. It's, it's one, you know, I said to Dan Neal yesterday, it's like a Christmas present for the players, isn't it? Just the <laughs> opportunity to go and play at a Premier League club and, and, and just sort of take the pressures off the league off you for, for, for a night and enjoy it. It's interesting you mentioned that, actually, because Johnny Robbs asked how seriously you think we should take that particular game, given how packed the Christmas schedule is, all the travelling, the importance of the league results. So what do we do? Because, I mean, it's not like you can throw a kids' team in against Arsenal, but what do we do? It's well, weird, you it? can't. And, and, and it's, not a lot of, it's not a huge amount you can do, but play quite a strong team and probably play the team he's playing, you know, with yeah. maybe one or two youngsters like Alves or whatever. I mean, they don't, they don't want to go... Lee Johnson, look, he, he, doesn't, he hates losing. And the last thing anybody wants is to see Sunderland go to Arsenal and get absolutely t- drubbed. So, you know, I think he, he will go there and field a respectably strong team. And the players yeah. themselves want to do themselves justice there. And I think the other side of it is that Arsenal too, they're not going to field a, a strong team because of their schedule and because of the yeah. pressure that Arteta's under to perform, you know, to, to win something. And so that I think on both levels, you can see it being a competitive game, actually. Uh, um, and Sunderland are quitting themselves well. It was interesting, Nick. I looked at the, the team they played in the last round and it was strong, but you bang on. Like they've got three games. I think they're playing Man City at the end of that run. So they've got two. I think they've got Norwich. I can't remember who the other game is. I think it's somebody else who's down there. But then they've got Man City at the end of the run. It's sort of like can mm. they really can they really afford to play a strong team when they've got such an important game at the end of it? Um, I don't think they can. So I mean, we'll, we'll preview uh, the Arsenal game in a little bit more detail as we get closer to it. But as things stand, then Sunderland in a decent position, aren't we, Nick? And it's a good. Good chance to sort of reflect. Like I said, we've got a week off. We've got a, another huge game next weekend. I don't know if Ipswich appointed a manager yet. Um, no, I mean, it's interesting. Have, but I mean, again, look, they're, they're clearly not a bad team. And I just thought, looking at the, the players they brought in, I mean, when they were here the other week, you know, you, man for man, they've got good players. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they should be doing better than they actually are at the moment. Um, but... Uh, I think looking at the schedule that's coming up, Ipswich is the big one because it's away from home. That you know, that I think it, it's undoubtedly going to be a very tough game. But then you've got Doncaster. Again, you should go to Doncaster. The form that you're showing, you should win at Doncaster. Then you've got two home games, and the home form is so strong that you think, right, you, you can only look forward to that. Um, so I, I, again, I'm, I, I'm sort of optimistic about this sort of next three games, if you like, if you're taking it in three-game chunks all the time, I'm looking at these next three thinking, next four games, thinking actually, you know, it, it's, it, it's a good run. I mean, if, you, if you'd offered me those fixtures, I wouldn't have said no. I'd have said, yeah, OK, that's great. Let's, let's go for it. Yeah, well, that's a good place to end it. Thanks for joining us, Martin, as always. No problem. And Nick, thank you very much. I think Nick might have just dropped by accident. Nope, sorry, I just oh. dropped down. <laughs> you, you dropped out nearly too early, Nick. Uh, now, thanks, thanks, Nick. <laughs> thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate your time. No you gave us lots of time this weekend, actually. So, yeah, thank you very much. Brilliant, thank you. Everybody listening, can you uh, do us a favour? Just head across to the fundraiser page if you haven't already donated, of course. You might want to put even more in, I don't know. But yeah, head across to the donation page that we've got for the Christmas fundraiser for the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen as I speak. 
we're heading towards 45 grand. Hopefully by the time this pod drops, we might even be over that. You never know. Um, but yeah, if you haven't already donated, please consider doing so. It's going to a good place. And we will be back before the Ipswich game with another podcast. And uh, yeah, head to the Rotor Report website before the game. Every day this week, plenty of good stuff coming up. We'll catch you there. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.